0: You are listening to the Sixth Sense Report with Joel Nikoloff and Darnell Samuels.
1: Yo, man, it's getting hot in here. (laughs) (laughs) Is that your (laughs) global (laughs) warming?
0: Yeah, yes, it it is. Maybe, no, maybe it's just hot in here. Oh, oh, did you forget? They changed it. It's climate change, bro. Yeah, climate change. Right, of course. So that's what we'll be addressing today. And so basically... So for me, I had I didn't really have a stance on climate change prior. Uh, so I had to do my homework and my conclusion was um yeah, a lot of people take this topic very seriously. And I wasn't taking it seriously uh, prior. So I, I thought it was a good idea for us to kind of take a take in a a different approach, as opposed to telling the listeners what to think, but uh, telling them how to think, how to approach uh, this topic, because it it does uh, touch people's hearts uh, in a way that I didn't expect. So I want to equip the listener, you, the listener, uh, to be able to uh, navigate uh, media when they're uh, presenting. Climate change, a climate change arguments. So we'll be looking at behavioral economics, which is the merger of psychology and economics, and how the human brain works, and and then blends into political political yeah. science slash policy. Yeah, yeah. So so this this is going to be a lot of fun, uh, and take a different angle on looking at climate change. Uh, so to start, uh, Joel got into a little uh twitter beef (laughs) (laughs) well one-sided they didn't really respond yeah they didn't they didn't didn't really they didn't really respond
1: Um, but i I was listening to this uh podcast called this is why and they you know the podcast episode was the the climate change not just a political issue um yeah i mean you know i took some issues with let's say how how the the anyone who critiques or is concerned with government intervention uh respect of climate change is is pretty much you know put into this category of like climate change denier a skeptic you know rather than i mean it's just in my opinion poor it's not intellectually honest um there's a lot of new it's it's not as simple as like either you're Pro climate change, or pro is not even necessarily the right word. Either you're uh, in agreement with climate change and therefore the government must solve the problem, or the you know the dichotomy is like, or you're anti-science. You know, and 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 really, there's, I would say, you're probably going to see a spectrum on bo- with regards to both sides of that. So the spectrum, in my opinion, is really from you know, uh, in agreement and government should do something to in agreement, what, you know, questioning what the government solutions are, you know, to maybe not in full agreement and concerned that even if the a government is right, government action, or sorry, not the government's right. The science is settled. Um, government interventions are actually a net negative today and the better solutions would be to address problems as they arise and then getting down, you know, continuing on that spectrum to the idea of like qu- questioning the science, um, not so much from a climate is changing perspective, but as to how much uh, using the the term that's thrown around is anthro- anthropopic. I can't even say that word properly, but the idea of man-made or predominantly the changes we see today are caused by by man and, and uh mm-hmm.
0: The name of the podcast is called This Is Why. Uh, it's produced by Global. And they were addressing the issue of Maxime Bernier calling out 16-year-old Swedish climate change activist Greta Thunberg. And on, so he made some comments about her on Twitter, uh, basically saying that she's a political pawn and made some comments about her mental health.
1: Yeah, which was really dumb. <laughs> Like, uh, I mean, I think he had, th- I think there's a fair criticism that when, uh, you know, he that, that she's being used as, you know, a political pawn um, in that, you know, she, she believes something and she's acting on it, but I can guarantee you she couldn't handle a debate on the science of this topic. Well, she's won a, a Nobel Peace Prize, right? Yeah, so did Obama. Yeah,
0: well, for nothing to do with peace, but it's called
1: the Peace Prize.
0: On Friday, September 27th, thousands of young people around the world held a climate change strike. In Canada, we had 85 cities taking part in it. This was inspired by Greta Thunberg, a 16-year-old girl from Sweden who is an activist in the climate change movement. I was listening to Albert Moeller's The Briefing episode on this climate change strike around the world, held by many young people, I wanted to get into a little bit more about her background to let you guys kind of know what's going on here and how did she, how is she becoming uh, a celebrity um, activist? So, Standpoint Magazine—that's a major intellectual journal published in Great Britain. It tells the story. The reporter is Dominic Green. He writes, Greta Thunberg is just an ordinary 16 year old Swedish schoolgirl whose fiery visions have convinced the parliaments of Britain and Ireland to declare a climate change emergency. He says that the Greta phenomena has also involved green lobbyists, PR hustlers, eco academics, and a think tank founded by an, ex, an a wealthy ex-government minister. In Sweden's social democratic government with links to the country's energy companies. These companies, he tells us, are preparing for the biggest bonanza of government contracts in history, the greening of the Western economies. Greta, whether she and her parents know it or not, is the face of their political strategy. This has also led to other young people pushing for climate change, like Emma Lima from McGill University in Montreal, who was pushing for a baby strike, no future, no children. And the the event that kind of has got people talking was her talk at the UN Climate Action Summit in New York. And so basically she was arguing for the human rights of the 1989 convention on the rights of children. And basically she was saying that that the carbon emissions were too high in the countries of Argentina, Brazil, France, Turkey, and Germany. I'm going to play a snippet from her UN uh, speech, and then we'll uh, talk about that. My message is that we'll be watching you. (laughs) (laughs) This is all wrong. I shouldn't be up here. I should be back in school on the other side of the ocean. Yet, you all come to us young people for hope. How dare you?
1: Okay, so, uh, of course, we, we got to cut it off after her wonderful economic reference of fairy tales of eternal economic growth. Um, I mean, honestly, when I hear her say that, I just cringe because I know it's a highly ignorant statement, first off. Um, I don't even think she knows what that means. Um, and the, And the reason I say that is because the legitimate our economic positions in this conversation are that essentially, and this is people who would assume like, I mean, Bob Murphy's the kind of who I'm quoting here. Um, He assumes all the IPCC data and uses that to do some economic analysis to say it would be more economically efficient to deal with the problems of climate change as they arise rather than trying to make the change today. And again, this is based on using IPCC's data. It's not that he's saying like, Oh, you know, I'm going to use a different set of data. And so the economics that she's kind of mocking is saying that by not taxing people today and taking that money out of growth and prosperity, um, and and pulling back on consumption of the cheapest form of energy uh and and trying to shift us sooner to to limit the warming um because the ipc's predictions are saying you know they're oh if we can we can limit warming to 1.6 degrees if we do x y and z or potentially limit that to that level so again the point i'm trying to make is of course we're going to jump on the economic statement um there's an you know, I'll share the the Bob Murphy stuff that I've got. Um, but uh, another, there's a uh, an article that's both in uh, audio and uh, text format. Um, the audio format's on what's called the Rothbert, Roth Radio Rothbart, uh, and I'll make sure I put that in the show notes page. But the headline is Greta Thunberg to poor countries, drop dead. And and the purpose of the argument is to basically say when she cr- includes countries. Like Brazil and Turkey on her list, um, yeah, Ryan Mc, uh, McMakin on in the article said, including them on this list is bizarre and borders on sadistic. Assuming she actually knows about the situation in those places, uh, and what he gets at is that you know the use of fossil fuels and and cheap energy in those countries is what's needed um, to to get them to even approach uh first world conditions so you know by by pushing them back farther you're 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 forcing them um to essentially lower their standard of living and they're not even you know barely above um basic needs being sustained Uh, so i mean those are you know that's my my first kind of critique i think there's a or, or first response to that economics, uh, I think there's also a, some pretty good memes that are just kind of blowing up. I've been loving the memes that have coming out, but, but in line with what I just said, uh, there's a picture of her on train and her, quoting her, which, which she said, "How dare you? You have stolen my dreams and my childhood with your empty words." And she's like eating bread on a train traveling, um, but the uh, you know the the meme shows a bunch a, a war torn country with three little kids saying, "Really." Um, and I think it captures what, what Ryan's article was talking about. And, and really, um, I think it demonstrates kind of the ignorance of her, her, you know, fairy tales of eternal economic growth, um, because it's really a straw man of the economics arguments that do exist. Um, there's a whole bunch of memes though, that, that I think mock her well. And, and, and when I say, well, I mean, you know, things like, oh, you're going to, uh, there's another mean that that says oh you're you're lecturing the u s and the e u but you add their emissions combined and china's way ahead of them, but you're not speaking to you know china mm-hmm. um and it's just the idea that there's there's so much more depth to this you know issue uh as well as you know to the fact that to some extent she's picking and choosing where she's um you know putting forth her complaint um I guess uh the last thing is that um there's a meme where she's wearing uh anti fascist All Stars T shirt and she apologized saying, Oh, I just borrowed it from a friend. The problem is there's two pictures in addition of her parents also wearing the same shirt. Um and in essence Antifa um are fascists and, and really they're they're promoting, you know, a way of life that um probably most people who are in agreement with climate change aren't an, aren't fond of. Um, let's just put it that way. I mean, I know that there's been some claim that the uh, Antifa's been recognized as a domestic terrorist organization in the US. I don't know how legit that was, but I do remember seeing headlines of that. So Darnell, what are your uh what's your first thoughts on on what she had to say?
0: Uh well well for me, like I come from uh, like a Pentecostal background, so I'm, you know, I'm used to hearing a, you know, a lot of sermons with a lot of emotion. So I'm, I'm, I'm very weary of it. And you know, listening to you know her speech, it sounded like a bad youth Sunday sermon. And just in general, I don't like uh, people trying to get i feel like i I don't like the feeling of someone trying to get over on me by appealing to my emotions but i you know i I rather um appeal to my intellect first and then my emotions So i'm always weary of it and and of course she has a right to be passionate and and that's good but being passionate is good uh but some of her language was very harsh and i didn't think that you know the topic warranted it uh so it was just something i was just like you know it sounded like a sermon like she was you know being presented as a savior and she's presenting a gospel like she's a, like it's like sola greta like greta alone like <laughs> like her like this doctrine is going to save you and i i felt like i was sitting in a sermon or in a service yeah yeah where they're trying to to preach to you out of conviction uh yeah yeah um out of emotionalism and trying to get me to do the altar call and um yeah yeah you know yeah, easy yeah. Convict you
1: into your Convict you into to altar call, as yeah, and then and then collect the time. The after. Holy Spirit, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's a whole nother ball game, or a whole another conversation. Yeah, but that's prosperity gospel, yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah but, that, that's but um, you know, I think th- it, there's there's one other aspect that I think I can touch on that that, and that is this isn't the first time that this has been done, right? Like this, up uh, using children to appeal to emotion. I mean in nineteen ninety two, David Sadu- David Suzuki's daughter did the exact same thing. I mean it's you know, um uh, Tim Moen had the post that, that kind of showed me this or, or brought my attention and also would link to the to the video. Um he had a good statement saying it not as militant, um, hyperbolic and divisive as the latest messaging, but obviously trotting out frightened kids as is a useful tactic. The crazy thing, and I shared this meme, uh, not to say that I fully endorse it on all levels, um, but there's a meme that that basically said there are many different actors, but it's always the same script. And it it essentially shows some socialist leaders with children, um, Hitler being one of them, and then the last picture is Greta with Obama. Um, And again, I'm not trying to necessarily associate Obama with... These socialist leaders, but the concept is very much the same. You're taught, you're bringing children to appeal to people's emotions as opposed to presenting them with uh, a strong intellectual argument. So, I mean, that's that's i uh, that's my. Fr- I was very frustrated watching it. I mean, I was almost cringing. It was just, uh, and I guess I can just to to wrap up this conversation about her you know uh role in this is um there's a there's an article in the uh glo- global news it was a commentary was the head part first part of the headline saying climate change discussion needs to get back to science and and that would be i think really sums up my position on the whole greta thunberg uh, fiasco
0: so just throughout the show we're going to be looking at uh kind of taking a step back from the news and the media and looking at okay well how do we think about the media what influences the way we think so for example we're going to well we're going to look at behavioral economics and like I said before it's the combination of psychology and economics and so one concept we want to look at is why do we need behavioral economics so certain types of Problems humans are are prone to, like so poor decision-making. So by understanding when we make those mistakes, then we can kind of avoid them. So just real quickly, the difference, and and follow me, Joel. Uh, follow me, follow me. So, so we have economics, and then you have how humans think. So I'm doing a little comparison contrast. So I'm going to just name a couple things. So for... Economics, it's it's more well, it's analytical, and then humans are emotional. Uh, humans are reflexive. Economics is reflective. Humans are um, effortless, and human. Uh, sorry, humans are effortless, and uh, economics is effortful. Humans are impulsive. Economics is deliberative. Humans are short-sighted, and economics is patient. The concept is basically this. Economics argues that man should be thinking rationally, and then behavioral economics says that humans act irrationally. Um, I think both are true. Uh not, not 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 in a contradictory way. I mean so for example, um if I'm not economically savvy, I'm going to make irrational decisions.
1: And and I would I, I, I take I think that view is the basis for behavioral economics. Mm-hmm. And I think it's hot garbage. Okay. Um because it's I think it's conflating the terms of irrational. Mm-hmm. And bad decisions, mm-hmm. so what's the difference that you'd say so so irrational would be, "I want breakfast, so I went and took a poop uh-huh. like there's no logic uh-huh. involved, yeah right it's there it's that's not a rational thought uh-huh. right whereas um you know you think of the case of an addict, they would say they're acting irrationally, uh-huh. but that's because you're an objective outsider who says oh if you want to be better in the long run you need to quit you know this drug that you're on that's ruining your life and and the fact that the addict continues to go back to the drugs is deemed irrational because for their longevity it's a it's 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 actually a bad decision mm-hmm. but the rationality is the idea that the addict consciously makes the decision in the moment that they think this is the best course of action now they can be wrong but the idea is it's not like they said i want to quit therefore i'm going to go do the drugs Mm -hmm. it's i'll quit next time like Mm -hmm. there's a rationality to their progression of thought and action Mm -hmm. that that when you use the term irrational when people are using it they're not using the term irrational properly they're conflating it with a bad decision but isn't being irrational? No, irrational is lacking ration, right? So mm-hmm. that's where I'm hungry. I'm going to go take a poop. Like, th- right. like. I mean, you right. could have progress. Yeah, okay, yeah. Like,
0: okay, okay. So when we look at, so one of the concepts that behavioral economics talks about is loss aversion, right? So people tend to weigh losses more than gains uh, when making decisions. Or uh, losing something makes people roughly... Uh, twice as miserable as the happiness from gaining the same thing loss aversion so uh in in for some of us who are athletes we say the term I hate losing more than I like winning yes I okay. say
1: hate I hate losing every time after a game that I lost
0: right <laughs> okay and then okay so then the next behavioral uh economic concept is regret is a powerful concept so we feel more pain of loss if we believe we were close to avoiding the loss or uh, people do not fear change they fear the loss so uh, so the way how this relates to climate change is that climate change is uh for lack of better term i would say used to uh, sell us fear and death death of the earth well, I would say and death of climate us. change is sold via fear yeah yeah right. sorry just I, just I yeah, just yeah yeah that's day. sorry that's what I meant yeah sold via fear uh, death of the earth and ultimately the death of us so the, you, you, we there's concepts called alarmism and you know catastrophic. catastrophic change so there's mild change and then there's the catastrophic change and so the alarmism and the catastrophic change uh, pushes fear
1: yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's a call to action and, the, and they're calling you to action by fear. I mean, to, to kind of make a similar but different point. And I'll put there's a, there's a Facebook post by Tim Moen, the leader of the Libertarian Party, um, called The Greatest Fear Voting Guide. And, and what it's like, his point behind the post is, you know, you look at every party. They're telling you to vote based on what do you fear. Right. So the Green Party is their platform is selling you the fear of CO2 or climate change. The NDP is selling you free of the or fear of the free market. The Liberals are selling you fear of the Conservatives. The Conservatives are selling you fear of the Liberals. The People's Party of Canada is selling you fear of immigrants. The Libertarian Party is selling you fear of the government. And, and I think, you know, your point about behavioral economics you know just to to contextualize my point properly is to is not to say that behavioral economics doesn't have good insights that we can use to understand um how people behave mm-hmm. i think the where i take issue with the behavioral economics is to some extent they're modifying the principles based on those observations i would say the observations are right for the most part but I then would apply them to the traditional concepts of economics of basic supply and demand, um, while accounting for other things.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I, I would say that for me and prior to this study, climate change doesn't, the fear of, uh, you know, the world ending and alarmism and climate change doesn't affect me, uh, because I know how the story ends. Right, Jesus returns, slays his enemies, and the earth is renewed uh, by heaven coming down to earth. And so because of this, um, I can now objectively weigh the evidence of the climate change arguments and not be swayed emotionally. So for me as a Christian, uh, I guess I didn't realize it at the time, but yeah, I'm not afraid of the end of the world. And therefore, I'm not emotionally driven to make a decision. So the fear tactics don't work with me, or nor should they work with any other Christians. but I'm sure there are Christians who uh, who the alarmism, uh, catastrophic change and the fear of um, the world ending through um, climate change is, is is swaying them politically socially and economically in the way they approach, uh, this, this discussion. And I'm sure, I'm sure of it.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, and I, and I'm generally disappointed with the discourse, um, because, you know, it's like, I remember, and I I can pull this up or up in the show notes page. Um, Bill Nye was on, uh, Tucker Carlson. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and I know Bill Nye's, you know, not really a scientist, but that's a different conversation. Come but, on,
0: come on, man. You're ruining my childhood, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, Bill Nye.
1: <laughs> so, you know, my point though, what I'm trying to get at, he asked him a question and said, how much does human activity contribute to the climate change? Just give me a number. Is it 10%? Is it 90%? Like, and there's no answer to that, right? Like we don't actually have an answer of how much humans are contributing. There's no scientific con- consensus on how much are are humans contributing to climate change. And, you know, that leads to really where I would say the start of my critique on Twitter is, you know, I referenced a couple things, but one of my sub comments was around this whole 97% claim that gets thrown out all the time. Um, and the issue with that is, you know, there's some let's just call it data manipulation that goes into coming up with this 97%. Um, You know, there are a a crazy amount of papers and, and, you know, I'll make sure I'll put it in my show notes page that, that, that breaks down. I mean, there's a couple articles, I got a video, um, you know, but there's a lot of assumptions built into like, this 97% what they did was they basically took a whole bunch of studies found them and tried to say okay what percentage of the studies on climate come to the conclusion that uh, man is the primary cause um the predicament is that you know he classed the the, this guy's name is cook he runs the uh, skepticalscience.com website john cook um in his paper uh, from 19, uh, from sorry, two thousand thirteen is where he got this ninety seven percent. He basically was surveying the papers out there, um, and he he kind of came up with a classification that said, okay, these papers concluded that man was the primary cause. Then there's a second group of papers that he said, oh, they implied that man was the cause, and then. The funny part was like he took another group of papers that, you know, kind of said, oh, I'm going to assume that it says the cause, that the cause is man, even though there was no explicit claim or even no inclination of a claim of who was the cause. Um, and and there's a whole bunch of papers that he just didn't include. And so, um, you know, this 97% statistic, there's two problems with it. One, it's I, I would say it's data manipulation. But the second is it's a logical fallacy the way it's thrown around. It's essentially an appeal to an authority, which is something in a, in a logical argument. You, you say, oh, just because Joe Schmo, who's a PhD in something, says something, therefore we're going to believe it. No, that, like credentials don't justify your position. You know, the facts and the data underlying it justify the position. And the reason I bring this up is to just to speak to the fact that the discourse on this is being shut down so much by just saying well 97 percent of scientists agree what do they agree on not i guarantee you, you ask someone what do they agree on oh man-made climate change well how did they come to that conclusion they don't know the answer people don't understand where this data came from how it was arrived at how it was derived and it's it's just shutting down conversation in a way that's that's you know kind of what you're hinting at right and that's where i kind of went down that road was just the way the discourse on this is it's disturbing from a perspective of it's being used to promote government more government intervention without you know as well just assuming oh it's man-made climate change and i would say majority of the arguments for man-made are purely correlation i.e oh we've seen more you know more temperature increases or we've seen Yeah, we're basically, you know, rising sea level, average temperature increases, ocean temperature, shrinking glaciers, you know, ocean acidification, all these things that like statistically may be true, but the question is causation versus correlation. And the scientific data is totally lacking. I mean, this is something like I remember digging so deep into this. I like spent... Probably a crazy amount of hours watching documentaries, reading stuff on the Internet, just trying to give give me the science. Give me the science. And and it really it was disturbing how hard it was to really come to the statistical modeling to say, OK, what are they really arguing? Um, and and at the end of the day, I would say it comes down to, oh, CO2 is increasing with this unknown co- causation effect, or not unknown's not the right word, not completely understood causation effect on the climate. And this is where our models or our models being, you know, the publicly accepted IPCC models have actually done a really poor job of predicting what's going to happen since they've started releasing their models. Um, If anyone knows about this, the hockey stick curve and and so on and so on. Yes, they've revised it, but they continue to revise and they continue to fail at predicting, which to me, if you can't predict in the future, well, how am I going to trust that we're going to be, you know, everyone's going to be under the sea level if that's your prediction, like AOC, oh, in 12 years. Who's AOC? (laughs) It's your favorite girl, don't you know?
0: (laughs) No, because, no, I, I say that because... Uh,
1: Alexandria Azio cortez she's part of the squad, you know, yeah. in the U.S. But, but I mean, she put out the Green New Deal saying, like, you know, essentially we have 12 years before catastrophic climate change. Um, but, again, these are people putting out predictions that keep failing at predicting. Um, so, you know, again, I don't want... I know I've kind of went on a rant on a, a sidebar. I know for me, I've dug into the science and I've really tried to, I've looked at it from a an inquisitive perspective. I didn't want to have a preconceived
0: conclusion one way or the other. Yeah, I think for me who hasn't looked into it and could care less about climate change, to be honest, <laughs> uh, one of the things, beha- coming back to behavioral economics, one of the principles that stood out for me was the concept of anchoring. So anchoring is a cognitive bias that describes the common human tendency to rely too heavily on the first piece of information offered or the most familiar piece of information when making decisions. So as I was studying, I was recalling and I was realizing, I can't remember who pointed this out, but that uh, climate change is another word for global warming. And I know global warming because I was taught it in school. And I remember, you know, as a little boy in elementary school, being taught about global warming, about pollution, taking care of the environment. And if we don't, we're all going to die one day. Uh, so, you know, and it's funny because now I'm, I'm a grown man and I still remember those. those. I, I don't remember much from school, which mm-hmm. is funny. I don't remember much. But I do remember global warming and those lessons about, um, yeah, the world's going to end you know, if you don't throw your juice box in the garbage, (laughs) you know what I
1: mean? (laughs) Yeah. Well, and, and I think, you know, that's the juice box in the garbage thing. I think it's a good time to bring up like both me and you hold a view that like, we need to take care of this earth. Yeah. Right. Like there, there's stuff around, you know, pollution and garbage and, you know, where I would say I'm in total agreement with the fact that we do a horrible job of taking care of this earth. You know, have we done things to destroy coral reefs and, and, and so if anyone's kind of being you know concerned that we're like anti the earth or we don't care you know god's coming back so i don't have to worry about this well i would say like you know that actually goes against you know part of god's mandate for man right We're, we're called to take care of this earth right so there's an aspect where you know i i just want to make sure it's clear that it's not misunderstood that you know we're we're not at all trying to dismiss the need to take care of the earth uh-huh. um but i think your point about anchoring you know uh there's a similar you, the second thing you said about the most familiar mm-hmm. there's a term of like confirmation bias yep right so if someone plants a seed of as you said like you you're about to tell this story when you were a kid right uh, like oh the more your you know parents drive around Right. I mean, we were talking about this earlier, right. You were saying to me, one of the things was like, the more you drove around, people were like, Oh, the more you drive, the more you're causing damage to the earth. Right. And so it's just like, as a kid, you're given this idea that again, you know, has a very loose scientific basis because it's not full. The cause and effect relationship is not fully understood that you're, it's implanted into your brain. Oh, you know, dirty energy, yeah. you know, and and that kind of like, oh, yeah. pollution, yeah. you know, CO2 is pollution. Meanwhile, it's CO2 is yeah. what humans exhale and what plants inhale. So yeah. no,
0: pollution is not a proper term. Um, yeah, true. No, 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 no. Uh, yeah, no, I agree. And uh, so,
1: sorry, go ahead.
0: Yeah, no, so no, I, I was just saying that um, like part of this is like, you know, bringing about like rational ignorance, another um, behavioral economic term. Like r- rational ignorance is uh, like low information voting. So it depends more on media instead of research, um, researching it themselves. So it's just, it's just it's just more convenient to rely on the media to do the work for us versus like because y- you've done a lot of work, Joel, um, in studying and that's not normal. And mm-hmm. like, people don't do that. Uh, so, you know, yeah, some you, people... you find someone who you think you can trust and you let yeah. them
1: tell you what yeah. the, what they, what conclusion they came to. Yeah. Um, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, it, you know, there's certain things I think that, you know, the term you use where like, uh, rational ignorance. Mm-hmm. It's, I mean, what the, what you're really saying is they made a rational decision based on the information they know. Yeah. The problem is, and I've said it before, there's like three groups of information. There's the things, you know, mm-hmm. there's the things you don't know, you don't know. But the third area, I think, is where rational ignorance comes in. It's the things you don't know that you don't
0: know. Right. And so what ends up happening is, uh, like, so, for example, like understanding how special interest groups work in, the, in that cycle. So the way how uh, environmentalists, in these and these are not just environmentalists, but special interest groups that we all need to be aware of and how they function. So for the sake of conversation, we're talking about climate change, so we'll talk about environmentalists. So the benefits are concentrated on a small group the environmentalists, the benefits being money. So the costs are spread out widely over a large group, which is everybody in regards to paying taxes. Right, so we're all taxed a penny, and that accumulates to $100,000 given to a a special interest group. and then the special interest groups provide assistance to the election costs of uh, public officials. So that's why you see... uh, politicians not necessarily usually we're getting our message about climate change not from scientists but from politicians from environmentalists and from um special interest groups yeah special interest groups so these so these are the the things um we need to um consider when we are making decisions about um uh climate change so Joel, so what's your two cents yeah i mean i think you want to leave the audience with
1: yeah i think you know you got a good point there and like considering our audience i mean that's not the, you know, it's not like, oh, well, there's an oil company, therefore I can't trust their studies. But, the, but where that plays out, I think, is, oh, the government in general would be better off as an organization if they could justify a carbon tax. Well, how do they justify a carbon tax? Well, by, ju- by proving it's man-made. So is the government ever going to subsidize or, or pay for a study that is going to prove it's not man-made? Like they, they're not interested in that, right? They have no financial incentive to show that climate change is naturally occurring. So why would they ever fund a study of such? And similarly, the gas and oil industry is not going to fund an, a study that's telling you that we're all going to die in 12 years, right? If that's the goal of the study. And so, I mean, this is an example to some extent of how our scientific Community is is a slightly, I don't want to say corrupted, but but the financial system going along with science has has problems, and so just understanding okay, there's every uh, you know as you referred to the idea of bias a little bit differently but earlier, but but okay, what's the bias of those who produce the study? It doesn't mean you discount the data, it doesn't mean, but it means you need to be critical thinking. Okay, how do I? Look for a bias. Is the study structured in such a way that I can only come to one conclusion? So for the listener, um, it's not as simple as government intervention solved to solve the problem. There's much more of a spectrum. Um, you know, and again, I said I was going to share my tweet. My, my two biggest criticisms within my t- tweet response, one was about, you know, the 97% being thrown around and, and essentially my critique towards them was that, you know, they're straw manning the position of rejecting the con that rejecting man-made climate alarmism while still being concerned of climate change. So there's an ability to have a position that around climate change that doesn't say, oh, I need a carbon tax in order to, you know, switch over to fossil fuels as soon as possible or switch away from fossil fuels as soon as possible, because those are killing us at an unprecedented rate. We're all going to die soon. Like there's, there's a spectrum of responses. Uh, For example, you know, the other part that i shared was um uh, an economist robert murphy d- who's involved with energy and has done studies to say economically speaking we would be better off to resolve these issues as they arise than to try to prevent them well and when i say better off what i mean is as a the financial cost today would be more detrimental in the long run for us than having using the resources in the day de- 50 years from now when these problems arise or 20 years from now when these problems arise. Um, So essentially we're hindering the economic growth by taking the money out of the system and using it to battle climate change. And his um, economic arguments are using all of the government data, right? All the IPCC data, all of their assumptions. He's not saying, well, let's assume this is right. And this is wrong. And no, no, it's just, we're going to take their data and apply the, you know economic principles and and conclusions that that they're giving us, and say, okay, well, what's a better option? And so for the listener, again, it comes back to this idea of like government intervention isn't as simple as the only solution. You know, there there's a much it's a much more complex issue than as simple as like carbon tax is the only answer, and anyone who's anti carbon tax is anti the earth. So Darnell, for for the listener, how would you, what do you want to leave them with? What's your two cents?
0: I think we have to ask the question, uh, why we have pollution in the first place? So, you know, looking at it from looking at like it from a biblical theological standpoint, we're looking at God gives Adam and Eve the creation mandate or the cultural mandate in Genesis chapter two, verses 16 to 18. And then also in Genesis chapter six, the command to steward creation uh, for the benefit of others. And so we see Adam and Eve doing that, but then sin enters the creation and the ground is corrupted as well as the sky. And so we have humans um, using limited resources to, to the best of their ability, which is creating uh, the pollution. But we know that one day Jesus Christ will return and therefore we have no fear. So in light of that, we have to uh, become better stewards of the gifts he's given us, uh, fossil fuel, coal, oil, solar power, and using it uh, to the best of our ability to promote human flourishing. So I, we, we shouldn't be uh, fear tactics. Uh, alarmism shouldn't uh, motivate us to make decisions to, to steward the earth. We have a command to do that. We want to love our neighbor. And we want them to have clean water. We want them to have um, all the uh, benefits that creation has, God has given us. Mm -hmm. And so we have that responsibility to, 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 to take care of the environment through those means, through, uh, um, through those means rather than doing it through Definitely. I, I, you know...
1: Um, so I just want to jump on the, the clean water idea. I think, you know, it's a good exa- just to finish the audience with a good example of rational ignorance. I think, um, you know, when it comes to fracking and the conversation around clean energy, there's a rational ignorance that for majority of human history and for a large portion of the world today, clean water is not the default position. Dirty, contaminated water is the default position. And so, you know, we're when you think of something like fracking, if it causes water to be no longer clean yeah that's a problem but that's the norm the norm is that water is dirty and so if you're making a decision that something is causing water to become contaminated it's like you know you're i would say you're being rationally ignorant to the fact that it starts out as contaminated and needs to be cleaned for for human consumption um with especially when you're talking about water at that level but you know you think of how many how many people talk about putting wells in 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 Africa or or different places around the world that are considered third world countries. And so, you know, access to clean water is something of high importance. Um, And the best way to get there is cheap energy and cheap energy is not as simple as renewables. So, I mean, we can definitely uh, save the conversation around other sources of energy and, and, and getting into maybe an energy conversation on another episode. Um, But I think for the listener, you know, really questioning some of their presuppositions when it comes to this debate is a good place to start.
0: If you wanna get in contact with us, you can contact us uh Facebook, Six Sense Report or Twitter, or Six Cent Report account. If you wanna get in contact with me, do go to Darnell on Twitter or Instagram. That's D O G U D D A underscore Darnell.
1: And I'm at tjoln N thirty nine everywhere.
0: And remember Six Cents Mix Change.
1: But you heard me, does that make sense?